0: Scott Sullivan with us. He is the Discipleship Catalyst with the Georgia Baptist Convention. Um, Just recently moved to Georgia in the last couple of years. I've gotten to know Scott. Um, I love his heart for ministry. I love his heart uh, for the kingdom. Uh, He and and Elizabeth, his wife, have four children. Noah, uh, one of their sons, is with us today. I'm going to let him share more about that. But here are two great things about Scott. Mm Mm-mm. (laughs) <laughs> number one, he loves Jesus. Mm, come on, number two, he is from the great state of Louisiana. Preach, hey! preach, like, brother. <laughs> come preach. Each other. I love your pastor, and uh, we have a connection. I, I listen, I'm a better leader and a better father and husband because of people that have been influenced by this great church. One of those is Chuck Jonas, he is a good friend. Uh, Elizabeth and I have been here with our we have two of our boys are still with us. I've got an older son that's out, and I've got an adopted daughter that's married now. And um, Ray Sullivan is another one that was a former pastor of your church who's just made a big impact on my life, is one of our discipleship consultants on our team. So thank you. And the message that I want to share with you in John 15 today really says a little bit about where you are as a church. Because I want to share with you there is a word we're gonna to get to in this passage that I believe is key for long-term spiritual maturity. But when I think about the 140 years of Reedsville Baptist Church, this word comes to my mind, and we'll jump into that in just a second. But listen, we all have a culture, and this church has a culture. Um, when I got to Georgia, there were several things that I learned. One, I went into Zach's fees. We had only been here a couple of weeks, and uh, Noah and Caleb were there with me, and this fellow walks up to me, and he, uh, he just leaned in and he said, Go dogs." And I said, yeah, like, like Georgia Bulldogs, go dogs." I said, yeah, man, we're excited. We love, we love the Bulldogs. We're from Louisiana, uh, northwest corner, a little town called Halton. if you follow uh, pro football. I was Dak Prescott's football chaplain in high school. That's the little town we're from. And uh, so I said, yeah, man, we're actually going to our first UGA game tomorrow night, you know? And he just looked at me and he said, I said, go dogs." And I just looked at him and said, listen, I'm from Louisiana, and I will cut you if you don't back up off of me. <laughs> like, I didn't know what, what does he want me to say, but evidently, if somebody walks up and says, go dogs, you're supposed to say, go dogs. Oh. Well, I didn't know that. I'm from Louisiana. If you got a rule, you're supposed to write it down or something. Let me know. <laughs> There's culture issues there. I didn't know, but I learned. Another one, I was at an event. A guy walks up to me, has a bag of pecans. And he said, he said, he said, listen, he said, would you like some of these pecans? I said, what you doing collecting those? I said, because where I'm from, you eat pecans, but you take a pecan to the deer stand. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. So, so there are culture issues. And listen, I'm still learning. I'm from Louisiana. I'm not real smart, but I do know this. Jesus is the hero of my story, and he's the hero of of reasonable baptist church 140 year history he is the reason that you still exist he is the reason that we do what we do and what i want to show you from john chapter 15 here is a description as he walks through his different levels of fruit bearing in the christian's life and then what i want to share with you really is it's a call to genuine discipleship because in our conventions in our in our states in our churches We have emphasized a lot of different things, but we have lost this idea that we are supposed to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. Listen, you didn't hire Chuck Jonas to make disciples. You hired him to pastor this church and to be an equipper of the saints of God to be disciple makers. We are all disciple makers. So that's where we're headed with John chapter 15. If you'll jump in there with me, starting in verse one. He said, I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, it prunes, and it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Now listen to this word, abide in me. And I knew as the branch cannot bear much fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in in me, but let's pause for a second. In Scripture, when the author says a word or a phrase over and over, why does he do that? It is for emphasis. It's like taking you by the collar and saying, look, knucklehead, don't miss this. And he says it over and over and over, and he knows in the life of a believer how important the concept of abiding is for the believer. Look Back with me in verse 5. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and it's withered. Now listen, he's talking to believers here. In this passage, we talked about being cast out. Let me be very clear with you. He's not talking to you and saying, listen, if you don't do what I say, then you're going to lose your salvation. That's not what this passage is teaching. This is a passage that's talking to us. And he says, let's let's read it again. He said, And I in him who bears much fruit, without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather and they throw them in the fire and they're burned. But, look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my word in you, abides in you, you will ask what it desires and shall be done for you. This is my Father. By this he's glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. The point of this passage is, as Jesus is speaking is he's talking to believers and he, he says listen you've got to abide now he talks through different levels of fruit bearing so let's take these the first one is no fruit so it could be that it's a believer that has tried to unplug from the Lord have you ever tried to do that isn't it crazy in our life when things get difficult anxiety builds stressors are all around us And then we tend to want to make these decisions where we pull away from the people who love us the most. Or maybe you make some poor decisions. And our parents, our spouse, our loved ones, we try to distance ourselves from the people that we need the most. In the time that we need them the most. Well, this first layer is no fruit. This is one where they're either not plugged in the vine, maybe they don't even know the Lord. Let me say something very clear today. If you're in this place or if you're watching and you don't know Jesus as Savior, then you're not plugged in to the very thing that's going to provide the resource and the nourishment that you need to get through this life. I can't imagine anything worse than to have navigate the last few years of my life without the resource and the sustenance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Consistently pouring into me, covering me when I'm doing things wrong or my perspective is off. You need that. You cannot afford to be unplugged from the vine. The second one is fruit. Now this is where most believers are. This is that mediocre believer who's existing. And it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. It just means that sometimes we get in life where we just do the same thing over and over. We don't even know why we do it anymore. We're just kind of in this system of doing because we ought to, not because our heart's in it. It might be the believer who's coming to church on occasion, that CEO Christian, Christian and, uh, Christmas and Easter only believer that comes and is doing things because they're afraid God's going to strike them dead if they don't show up. Well, see, this this fruit bearing, this is where things are beginning to happen. And people will know that you're a Christian, but they don't really know, is it because Jesus has changed them or because they're just a vegetarian? They're like, there's something different about them. We don't know what it is, but, but we've got to figure that out. Well, the second layer is fruit bearing. Do you know what the word mediocre means? It's a word picture of a mountain climber who's climbing. The goal of the mountain climber is to get halfway up the mountain or to get all the way up the mountain. See, the goal of a mountain climber is to get to the top of the mountain. The highest point of perspective, you've achieved this thing that you've worked for so hard, right? Mediocre is the mountain climber who gets halfway up the mountain. and He looks back down and he realizes how far he's come. And he says, man, this is incredible. Look how many people I've passed. Look how much further up this mountain that I am than all these people behind me. And they settle halfway up the mountain but was the goal ever to get halfway up the mountain no the goal is to get to the top of the mountain listen church 140 years there's been incredible foundation built for you to be able to just sit in these pews today this is halfway up the mountain you cannot afford to sit and soak and sour in these pews we have got to move forward Listen, in the Southern Baptist Convention in the last 20 years, we baptized 7.1 million people with zero increase in attendance. It ain't working. A lot of the churches and what we have done, where well, we assume that if we can get people into worship and we assume that we can get 40% of them into a Sunday school class, that we're discipling our people and we're going to reach the world. It ain't happening. That model's not working. The model that will work is when every believer in this church, in this town, in this county realizes I've got a responsibility to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and to get off my rear end and go into the community and make disciples of Jesus Christ. I've got to give people the gospel, connect them to the church, help them move towards spiritual maturity, and then help them understand their responsibility to multiply that out, that faith that was shared with them. So you got fruit. you got no fruit. And then this third layer here is more fruit. This is when it starts to get interesting. Because this is where people start seeing a difference in you. And this is where God begins to prune things from your life. Anybody garden in the room? Maybe have a farm? You ever been through that experience where you look at something and you, and you, you look and you, if you prune it, it looks like you've killed it. it looks, that's, that's what it looks like to me. And my wife taught me this because she does love to garden. I don't. I hate it. But she said, I I went outside one day and saw our, our bushes, and they just looked like an atomic bomb had gone off and just blew up our bushes, right? And I'm like, what did you do? You killed the bushes. She said, no, I pruned them. Just wait until the spring. Spring comes up. They come out lush. They're beautiful, and it's the best thing that ever happened to them, right? But for that bush, they're pretty painful at the moment. It's the same way with us. God wants to prune, sometimes even the good, so that we can get to the great. And some of us are so caught up in good that we'll never experience great because we're not allowing God to prune us, to shape and to shift us. You know, and I'm going to share with the story just a little bit how, how God has been doing that in my family, in my life. But I'm just telling you the greatest miracles and blessings of being a believer are on the other side of the pruning. They're on the other side of your step of faith that says, God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll go wherever you ask me to go. I'll speak whatever you ask me to speak as long as you're with me. And listen to me, church. Some of us have made the mistake (coughs) into thinking that coming and being a part of Readsville Baptist Church is that I will do that because Jesus is a means to get what you want. Listen closely. Jesus is not the conduit for you to get what you want. Jesus is the gift. He is all that you need in our life as we go. And here's the fourth layer of fruit bearing that we see in this passage. It says much fruit. In verse 5, he says, we want you to bear much fruit. And did you know that most believers don't even know that this is possible? Because this is where the miraculous happens. This is where people look and they say, I didn't even, I can't even believe people would even think like that. Much less sacrifice." To that extent, to lose that much money, to give that up, are you kidding me? That's the wow factor, and that, friends, is what our churches have lost across America. We have entered into a consumer Christianity where many of our people who are showing up and gathering in our churches have come to see what they can get from the church and from the Lord and not coming into these buildings based on how can I serve in my context. And you know what a lost community says? I ain't got time for that. Because if it doesn't make a difference in your life, why should I listen to you? There's a hypocrisy at the highest level. That's why our churches have to be on our game how you act at a baseball field how you treat people at the grocery store and whether you share jesus and pray with that waitress and whether or not you give her a good hefty tip and tell her when you walk out the door even though she does not deserve it jesus loves you and so do i here's one of the struggles brother chuck that i'm seeing in our churches when they're they're asking me scott like we got to make a change things are happening we've been decades and we've been at the same level and in most of our communities, man, the, the community doesn't even know, we talked about this this morning, the community did not even know that we exist, right? You guys are out there, and you're making an impact, and you're letting the gospel be visible in your community events, and that's what it takes. The struggle is most people have forgotten why we even do what we do. They're doing stuff over and over to such an extent that, that they have forgotten the mission of the church, which is to make disciples. Let me see if I can illustrate this to you. Anybody have railroad experience? Anybody know what a railroad is? (laughs) Praise the Lord, three of you. So here's the, the United States Standard Rail Gauge, okay? That's the distance between the two iron tracks that the locomotive runs on, okay? It's four feet, eight and a half inches. Four feet, eight and one half inches. You know where that came from? The English expatriates who came from England, came to America and they helped us to build our railroad. They brought their jigs and their measurements and their tools, helped us build the railroad. Well, where'd they get it from? Well, they got it from the horse and buggies. They would build their buggies, and those wheels would be four feet, eight and a half inches. Why would they build them that way? Because there were these concrete roads that the English were riding in, and they had these grooves that were four feet, eight and a half inches. Well, who built the road? The Romans, 2,000 years before. Why did the Romans build the road with a, a groove in it, four feet, eight and a half inches? Because it was for their, their chariots, and it would wheels would ride and they would give them stability and it would give them an edge when they were fighting. And those who didn't have their buggies built would be running. They would hit that and their buggies would shift and shake and break up and the Romans would, they would always look for an edge, right? Where did the Romans get four feet, eight and a half inches? It's the average width of two horses rear ends. So your United States standard rail gauge is not based on some scientific method. It's based on the width of two horses' rear ends. <laughs> look it up. Not right now. We're in a sermon. But I'm telling you, look it up. I'm, not, I'm telling you the truth. Take it one step further. Anybody ever been to Cape Canaveral? See the space shuttle launch? Did you know the original engineers desired that those rocket boosters would be larger than what they really were? But they had to be built off site and shipped by railway through an opening in a mountain that was just wider than four feet eight and a half inches. So the major design feature of the most sophisticated transportation system the world has ever known is based on the width of two war horses' rear ends. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? How we can continue to do the same thing over and over? And maybe the things that we're doing not even bad. But at some point you got to assess, is what I am doing making a difference? Is there? Do we want to settle for good or we want to look for great? Is God allowing us, is he leading us to make shifts as a community, as a church, so that we can not just be a church, but be a world-impacting church that raises up disciples, teaches them what it means to abide in Christ, and then go change the world. You see, it's a different perspective. What I want to do with my The remainder of my time here is is focused on this idea, because there's a word in here, and it uses it seven times, and he says that that if you abide in me, and he says it over and over, the word abide is is what I think about when I think of Reasonable Baptist Church, as I was thinking and praying through this morning. The word literally means to remain or to stay. This church has remained, has stayed. You have continued to show up. You have continued to try to find ways to impact and push back the darkness in this community and to do things that would even have cultural, county, and nation, and worldwide impact through what you're doing. When you get to the cooperative program, those do- dollars are filtered into missions, endeavors, all over this county, and the state, the nation, and all over the world. That's because you guys have chosen to abide. And listen closely. There's never been a time in the life of the church, in my lifetime, when it's been more important to abide. If you are a believer and a member of this church, you need to be here. You need to come. You need to support what's happening. And you know what, what's going to happen? There's going to be moments when you don't agree with something. The color that was chosen for the pew or the, that the lights should be three lumens brighter than what they are. There's going to be time that stuff happens. Choose your battles wisely. Love your pastor. Love the process. But listen, don't be married to anything but your spouse. But everything else, be willing to shift. And matter, make sure that Jesus is always the hero of the story that's being told by Reasonable Baptist Church. And when you do that, the community looks in. And they see something peculiar about you. And they'll ask questions. Man, there are more and more people showing up. Every time there's a community event, Reasonable Baptist Church is in this thing. They're giving stuff away. They're loving people. They're blessing people in the community. Why are they so different? And it gives you a platform to stand up in front of them and tell them, it's because Jesus changed me and he can change you as well. Let me give you a few things here of what it looks like to be a genuine, abiding disciple of Jesus Christ. The first one is this, is they've experienced a genuine salvation. They've experienced a genuine conversion in their life. You see, there are a lot of people in our churches that are coming to church, and they're in the building, and they think that they are a Christian because they believe in God. It's just not the case. There's got to be a moment that you repent, you turn away from your sin. And the Bible says confessing as Lord and believe in your heart. So it's more than just lip service. There's got to be a moment that in your heart that you asked for forgiveness of your sins and received that from Jesus, right? You're going to get an opportunity at the end of this service to do that. And in this building, there are unbelievers, those who have not trusted Jesus. Some of you know that you're not a believer. Some of you are playing a game. you got a mask and you think that you're a Christian because your daddy was a preacher, your grandfather was a missionary, or your grandmother ruined with Lottie Moon. You're just not going to go to heaven. You're just not going to go to heaven because you're connection with people. It doesn't matter who all those people were. It doesn't matter how much money you have. There's got to be a moment that Jesus changed and forgave your sins. Here's the second thing. There's also consumer Christians. This part of that 7.1 million that we talked about. People who've come into the church, they weren't discipled, and now we've got churches across America who are filled with these consumers based on what they can get from the church, but that's not what a disciple of Jesus does. They look to see what can I can give. The third person is the faithful, committed Christian, that 2 Timothy 2 kind of Christian, where they're all in, and that's where I want to encourage you to land. When you walk out of this service today, if you're a believer, that you would have a commitment to the Lord that says, God, anything you ask me to do, I'll do it. Everything that I own, I'm gonna hold it with loose hands. Would you genuinely allow me to leave a legacy of faith that my children, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren would be blessed and would know who I am as a disciple of Jesus Christ based on the next decisions over the remainder of my life? You see, in this life, a converted life, It brings peace and it also brings pain. And I don't have to convince many of you what it's like to be a believer and to have to seek the peace from the Lord that you can't gain for yourself. Because I suspect that many of you, like I have been through, have had people or maybe yourself who've gotten that cancer notification or that you lost that job. Or that things have fallen apart, a or that your child was injured in a car wreck. Or that your baby that was born with the disease that's incurable. You see, a converted life gives us a peace that you can't get anywhere else. But this also brings pain. Because uh, many of you know that, that as you grow, sometimes it's painful. And God loves us too much to leave us where we are. It's like the army base staff I read about. General steps up in front of his guys, and he wants to have these Army games. And he said, listen, sure, you know, obviously we're not going to use real bullets, so here's what we're going to do. Instead of a knife, you're going to say, stab, stab. Instead of a gun, you're going to say, bang, bang. Instead of a grenade, you're going to say, lob, lob. We're going to play with integrity. If somebody gets you, you fall out, you're out of the game, go back to the barracks. Well, they're fired up. He says, go. They scatter over hundreds of acres, this one soldier, he comes around the corner and he sees his opponent and he said, Stab, stab. God just looked at him. He said, Bang, bang. God just smiled. He said, Lob, Lob. God started laughing at him. Boy, that soldier was so upset. Boy, he threw his backpack down. He said, Listen, he told us this was a game of integrity. I said, Stab, stab, you did nothing. I said, Bang, bang, you did nothing. I said, Lob, Lob, you just laughed. What's your problem? He said, Rumble, rumble, I'm a tank. Here's the problem. You see, that's just the way the devil treats the world and our relationships. He's a liar and he's a cheat. He is going to change the rules and he's going to change the value tags in our lives for our children and for our spouses to make us think, this is so important. And then when you, you go years and you go decades after this thing and you finally get it and you look at it and you say, this was not that important. It was a vapor. And I won and I got it. But it didn't make a difference in my life and now it's gone and I've missed a whole decade or decades of my life for this It has no value because that's what the enemy does to change things and to trick and to shift us But when you abide into the church and you'll get into a group of believers and you're studying the scripture You will learn and God will shape will shift and shape your heart To be close to him, and you will you'll be able to hear even the slightest whisper, the slightest whisper that's coming from his voice to impact your heart, your life, and your family. Well, that's that converted life. It brings peace, it also brings pain. Let me give you a second thing about this abiding disciple. It lives a surrendered life to the Holy Spirit. You see, it's an inward daily surrender. And when there's an inward daily surrender, it always leads to an outward. Daily serving or expression you see this commitment we make to Jesus it can't be one of those say oh yeah I committed to Jesus but listen that's a personal decision well it is a personal decision in that no one else can make that for you but it is not a personal decision in that it always stays to yourself if Jesus has changed you that must drip flip over into the lives of other people it has to That is the only way. There is no plan B to give the gospel to the world. You see, when we are all in, in this inward daily surrender, I tell people all the time, one of the big questions I get, church, is how can we set up a disciple-making strategy in our church that when Ray Sullivan is gone, when Chuck Jonas is gone, that we can have a process here where we're still making disciples. And I tell them all the time, What is the most important level, most important layer of any disciple-making strategy you'll ever implant into this church? Listen closely, church. It is your one-on-one walk with Jesus. Don't miss this. In the world we live in, we are one decision away from World War III. And if the right countries come together, we won't win that war. And if we don't win that war, listen to me, You will not walk back into this church freely and worship as a group ever again. Listen to me. If it happens, how many of your spiritual lives are going to fall apart because you are dependent on a Sunday school teacher or Chuck Jonas to give you the Word of God? Now show me anywhere in the Scripture where that's a model. That is an American model that's not biblical. Being here is. Gathering corporately as a church is. But what should happen is that the people of God are gathering here as an expression of what Jesus has done to change me. And then we walk out of those doors and we go and take the world with the gospel. But see, it's an inward daily surrender, but it always leads to an outward daily serving. You see, when Elizabeth and I left Louisiana, we had just built our forever home. It was a 3,000 square foot custom home on 16 acres, 16 acres part of a 128-acre family track that butts up to thousands of acres of federal land. So for a redneck like me, it was a sportsman's paradise. I loved to hunt, kill what I eat, eat what I killed. Loved it. It was everything I ever wanted. And when we left, literally the weekend that we were supposed to move in that house is the weekend we moved to Georgia, so we never actually spent the night in the house. So people ask me all the time when they hear a story, like, how could you possibly know God's leading you to make such a big shift and it wasn't just the hot sauce you ate the night before? Let me give you five things, because almost every place I've been, as I share that story with people, they ask me, How do you know? How can you figure that out? Let me give you five things that helped Elizabeth and I make this decision and never look back. We've never doubted it. We've lost over hundred grand in our move to Georgia, and we sleep like a baby at night. That's well-fed and changed baby. All right, here's the first one. An abiding life has grown accustomed to hearing God speak and seeing God move. You see, this wasn't the first time Elizabeth and I had attempted to do anything that God asked us to do. See, we've been trying to hear from the Lord. We've been trying to serve him and offering everything we have with loose hands. God, thank you for all the blessings of life But anything you would use in our lives. Here it is. So this wasn't the first time he spoke. So as you do that over and over that still small voice becomes louder and becomes easier to comprehend as you walk with the Lord. That's why abiding is so important. If you don't abide and you're not staying and you're not trying and you're not failing and you're not winning and then failing and doing this over and over, then you don't have that concept of hearing His voice and understanding when He speaks and, and knowing when He moves. Here's the second thing. Confirm it in Scripture. See, our family has a devotion each uh, most most nights. And we'll read a scripture and we'll ask our boys because I want Noah and Caleb, I want them to grow up not just hearing their daddy read scripture or not just hearing me pray over them. I want them to be able to defend their faith. I want, you, I want Noah to know why you believe what you believe. So I ask questions about the scripture so they have to verbalize the meaning, They have to verbalize what they are understanding, their comprehension of, it, right? So we, Mark Marshall calls me, we talk on a I guess it was a Monday or something, and, um, hey, man, you interested in coming to Georgia? I said, man, absolutely not. I'm, I'm six weeks from moving into a forever home, and, man, I'm drenched in sweat right now. I've been working at the house all day. So he began to tell me what they were looking for, and as we began to talk, we're working through this, and, and I said, I'll tell you what, let me just, because this is, this is a big opportunity. This is one of those things that could be world-impacting if this is done well, Right? So let me just talk to Elizabeth, i call you. i call Elizabeth on the phone and say, hey, this guy from Georgia called, and asked about this discipleship, catalyst position in Georgia, and asked me if I was interested. She said, what'd you say? Well, I said, well, at first I said no, and then I told him I'd pray about it, and you know what she did? She hung up on me, just flat hung up on me, and she wasn't hearing anything of it. We were so tired and so put out. So I'd get home, and we began to pray. You know what the devotional was that night? Abraham. About God calling him from a life that was comfortable and where he was winning and it was good and calling him out of that to something that was going from good to great you know what the devotion the next night was Abraham and Isaac what are you willing to sacrifice to follow the Lord I was like, <laughs> like surely not like this has got to be a coincidence you know we're working through the He confirmed in the scripture let me give you a third thing seek godly wisdom when you have big decisions in life, listen, let me just. We can't trust our own perspective and our own emotions to make decisions when we're making big decisions in life. You just can't. God has given you a godly pastor. He's given you a Sunday school teacher, godly people in the community, people that you look up to that you can just. Listen, they can't make the decision for you. But like when I went to our, my, my mentors and I shared with everything that was going on, this is what they said Hey, we can't make the decision for you, but we can tell you this that that process of looking over the last 30 years of your life, that process of that position does make sense. Now you got to make a, and then they put it back in my court that I had to make a decision and live with it. Here's the fourth thing. See God's hand through markers in life. You see, when Mark called me, I had implemented a disciple-making strategy in Houghton. And what was so interesting, as, and this really gets into the fourth and the fifth one, is Prayer. I had prayed a prayer in 2012. I said, God, would you give me a disciple-making strategy that works in Houghton, but would be transferable anywhere in the country? And as Mark began to talk, I said, man, what do you want me to do? Why would I, why would I come to Georgia? What would the task be? He said, man, I want you to help us become disciple-making churches. I was like, you got to be kidding. The very prayer that I prayed in 2012, he literally puts it on a platter and says, this is the opportunity that I want you to come to Georgia and do. And, of course, prayer being that thing that, that surrounds that. But see, you, can you see how it, it, ends, it, it ends up in, a, in an outward daily. It's an inward surrender, but it's an outward expression. And here's what's happening all across America right now, all across America and perhaps across the globe. There are people just like you that are filtering into a, a, a worship gathering system just like this to listen to a, a preacher, to, to sing songs led by some type of worship leader or maybe a choir. And they've come in here, listen, to sniff what their pastor's been cooking all week long. Let me tell you what I mean. So, starting this afternoon or tomorrow, Chuck will begin to look through Scripture. And he's fashioning these sermons, and he's hearing from God, and he'll, he'll apply that to himself first. And God, do I need to make some shifts before I, before I preach this sermon? And then he... He exegetes the scripture to make sure that he's preaching what the author meant when he wrote it, right? Not that I'm bringing my meaning into it. I'm figuring out what was the meaning when he wrote it, because it can't meet what he didn't mean when he wrote it, okay? That's how we get cults and all the other craziness that we have in the world. So he works through all that, and then he thinks through application. I mean, how can I help, help this to apply to myself, to our people, and even make it interesting? Then he shows up on a Sunday morning, and he's about to explode because he's been reading and studying and praying all week long, and the people come in to sniff what he's been cooking all week long. But here's my question. When's the last time you got full sniffing a meal? It don't work. Your job is not to come sniff a meal. Your job is to feast on the Word of God every single day so that when you walk into this place, It's an overflow of what God's already been doing in your life. That's when the people in this community look and they say, I can't believe what's happening at Reedsville Baptist Church. Did you hear the stories? This guy was cheating. He was a drunk. That lady was crazy. These kids were out of control. They came to Jesus. Like, how did this change happen? That's the much fruit-bearing phase of life. But it doesn't happen if you show up in this place expecting Chuck Jonas to do a dog and pony show to keep you interested. And if he's not telling a cute story to make you laugh, you think he's off that day. This ought to be an explosion of power of what God's been doing all week long when you walk into this place. There ought to be cracks in the rafters because of how loud and the expressions of worship He should have to settle you down because of the amens, and you go, Pastor, as he's preaching from this pulpit. The excitement and the power should be so obvious. Well, here's the third thing. An abiding disciple of Jesus pursues an uncommon commitment. You see, I call it third-mile Christianity. You know, Scripture talks about going the second mile. But what if in your church you went the third mile? What if you attempted those things that were so crazy that the people around you say, man, that's not, why would, that? what? Why would they do that? That you loved them not second mile, but you loved them third mile. What if, what if it made a difference in, in your professional life, but also your personal life? What if in this place you had a plan and you knew that being in this worship assembly as a group was part of it and being in a Sunday school class was part of it. And then reaching out to the community was part of it. Life change stories would begin to happen. I could tell you what would go on. It would change you professionally. It would change you personally. For some of you, God would begin to move you as a, as a business professional or, or a, a home uh, parent would begin to move you to change the way you think. Like everything that you do in business, what if it was centered around the fact that how can I reach people with the gospel? What if that was your driving force and not the economic bottom line? And you've got to have both. And God will bless and honor that. Listen, I grew up in a dad that for three years we lost just about everything as he started as a business. But he felt like God was leading him to do it and he was going to honor the Lord with it. We call it the beanie weenie in the refrigerator days because there wasn't much to eat. When I was in high school, and after three days, three years, his accountant came to me and said, "Mr. Sullivan, you don't have any money left. If you don't make money in the next six months, you've got to get to go do something else." That next year, he made twenty-seven thousand dollars. He end, ended up having that business for over thirty years. And the, year, the month I moved here, he sold that business. And when he sold it, he had twenty-seven people working for him with accounts and fingers all over the world that I cannot tell you how many times. I remember my dad, when I was working with him in college, and I'd be sandblasting and painting his vows and instruments, and I'd walk into his office, and he'd be talking through an interpreter a guy in Saudi Arabia, or he'd be talking to a guy up in Maine, and he would say, can I just tell you what God taught me in my Sunday school class yesterday? Now listen, the oil and gas field, if y'all don't know a lot about that, there ain't a lot of Christians in that field. They're pretty rough. And God blessed and he honored it. He will do the same thing for you when you make Jesus the hero of everything that you do. But it also changes your personal pursuits, which is where Elizabeth and I were. You see, we told you we moved here, but that house couldn't have been more personal. I mean, we put a floating staircase in it, going from the first floor to the second floor. And if you don't know what that is, a single stringer staircase, it has no visible supports. Like it didn't make any sense how it stands. And we made it out of red iron from my dad's barn that burned down. And we repurposed it. And we welded it together and created stairs to get up to the second floor. The wood treads on those stairs were made out of 100-year-old white oaks from our property that I cut, milled in Shreveport in my builder, and I hand-planed every board. And we stained every board and put it on there. We created a house around a safe room. We poured a slab, built a safe room, seven by eight. If there was a tornado, God forbid anybody ever broke in my house, that we could run in there. We've got a spin wheel safe door on it. We hand-poured buckets of concrete to pour the ceiling on that. And once we got it finished, then we built the house around it. We lined that safe room with cedar from the trees on the property that we cut. And we milled them and put them in ourselves. It couldn't have been more personal. I'm a redneck. I told you that I had a 150-yard shooting laying out of the second floor deck of the house down into a bottom to a spin corn feeder with a 12.165-inch buck that I was on. Still stings a little bit, Chuck. Like, how can you possibly leave that and go do something? Listen closely. My greater fear was not what I was leaving behind. My greater fear is that my kids and my wife would miss God when he's moving. You see, when God gives you an opportunity, when he speaks to your heart, and he he leads you to a step of faith, the only answer is yes, Lord. It's not why, or it's not wait, or it's not I'm not sure The only step of faith when God leads you to something and you've checked with mentors in scripture and he's confirmed it in prayer and all these things, the only step for you is, yes, Lord, what can I do that makes Jesus the hero of my story and will extend gospel impact in my family and in my church? And the last thing I would leave you with is this. It's time to lay down lesser things for greater gain. Because some of us are holding on to things in our life that they're going to burn up when it comes to judgment. And they're not going to matter. And I just want to leave you with a thought because you see, my life changed when I was 10 years old. I had a dad. You know, I grew up in churches. Matter of fact, the place that I made my decision looks a, just like this. The size of this church, there was probably 125 people in the room. I was sitting on the back pew back here. Friend nudged me, said, Man, when are you going to get saved? And I knew what he meant. I grew up in church. My parents were the youth committee in every church I ever went to. You know, I was, in every Wednesday, every Sunday, seemed like I was even there Mondays and Tuesdays just because we didn't know what else to do but go to church. And I remember going home that day at lunch and I said, Daddy, I think it's time that I made a decision to trust Jesus as my Savior. Boy's eyes got real big and he smiled because he and my mom had been praying for me. For, for that I would make that decision, so here's what my dad said, and I want to share it with you, because there may be people in this room that are doubting, if I die tonight and I don't wake up, will I go to heaven? Like, I know I'm, people think that I'm a Christian, but I'm not sure. You can be not sure about some things in life, that ain't one of them. That is the most important decision, it's the foundational decision of your life, and all of the rest of life's success is based on this here's what my dad said he said son do you believe that we're all sinners because romans three twenty three says that we're all sinners and fall short of the what i said the glory of god he said yeah he did you believe we're all sinners i said yeah we, I, I really do believe that especially my brother and sister they're the worst <laughs> and then he said well romans six twenty three says the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life he said you know what a wage is and i said like I mow the grass, and you give me 10 bucks? He said, yeah. It's like you commit an action, you do something, therefore you get a response, whether it's a a payment or it's a gift or maybe it's a consequence. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. See, so like right now, if you trust Jesus to forgive your sins and save you, the response is that you're going to go to heaven. You'll have a relationship with Jesus and be able to experience heaven on earth as well. I said, that's really cool. He said, but also for people who don't trust Jesus, there's a place the Bible calls hell. And he said, son, it's a real place filled with real people. And it's not all of them are bad moral people. The Bible tells us that you have to ask Jesus, invite him. You have to repent of your sin, which means to turn from your sin and ask Jesus to forgive it, to wash it away. I said, Man, that I said, I'm in. I'm on all that. He said, but it's not just the the wages of sin he said the free gift of god is eternal life that's the good part i said i'm in for that he said imagine this he said imagine christmas morning." So i had an older brother and a younger sister so i've got middle child syndrome so we, he said imagine christmas morning you walk in and there's three gifts for each of you under the christmas tree he said what would be the coolest gift that you could ever imagine receiving i didn't have to pray about it it was a mini bike with big mud tires I said, that's what I want, a Mini minibike with mid mud tires. He said, well, you're never going to get that, but let's assume for this illustration that you get it for <laughs> Sunday morning. He said, let's imagine you walk in, and there's gifts. It's a Christmas tree, and that minibike is front and center with a big bow wrapped around it with your name on it. And I'm just like, that would be the greatest, oh, that's the greatest time of my life. He said, how ridiculous would it be for the gift to be there? It's got your name. The price has been paid. It's offered to you. How stupid would it be to walk out and not receive it? And I said, That's the craziest thing I ever heard. Why would I do that? He said, Son, that's what you've done with the gift of salvation your whole life. You see, you can't earn the salvation of God, you can't earn the forgiveness of God, but you do have to receive it. Man, I'm just telling you, my little 10 year old mind just exploded. Like, that was the moment. Like, that makes a ton of sense. And I said, Dad, I'm in. I want to receive Jesus. And he said, well, here's what the Bible says. Romans 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. He said, so it's more than just the lip service. He said, there's got to, because for the Greeks, when they said to do something in your heart, that was the deepest place a commitment could be made that's lived out in your life. So he said, are you willing to not just confess it with your mouth, but in that deepest part of your soul, are you willing to make a commitment, repent of your sin, let Jesus forgive it, and live your life, the rest of your life for him? And I said, yes. So my dad, and I prayed, and I repented of my sins, and I asked Jesus to save me, and I gave him control of my life. I just wonder in this place this morning, if there are any of you who are wondering, like I was at 10 that if you don't wake up tomorrow and you want to settle it today maybe you've gotten wet but it didn't mean anything and you don't remember it maybe you know you've not made that decision maybe it's time for one of our men to leave this place and go home as a new husband and a new dad in their home maybe it's time for a mom to walk out of this place with sins forgiven and everything's different and the rest of your life will never be the same Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you stand with me just for a moment? Everybody stand right where you are. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes all across the sanctuary. Just close your eyes. You can bow your head if you want. Listen, closing your eyes is not going to make you more spiritual. That's not why I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking you to close your eyes because this is the most important moment of the day. And if you've not made this decision, it's the most important decision. And for those of you believers in this room, I want you to pray for the person on your left and right, the person in front and back of you, because there just may be people in this room who will walk out a way they didn't walk in. I want you to pray for them. So here's my question. With nobody looking around, I just wonder if there's anybody in this room that would say, Brother Scott, would you pray for me? Because I'm not sure that if I don't wake up tomorrow, that I'll wake up in eternity with Jesus. Anybody, if that's you, and you know that you've not made that decision, or you're questioning whether or not you really are a believer, tone your right and my left, just lift your hand high. I want to pray for you. Anybody say, Brother Scott, thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else, lift that hand high. Make eye contact with me so I see it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Yes, sir. Thank you for your honesty. Anyone else? Lift that hand high. Okay, you put the hands down. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And it's very important that you understand that this prayer means nothing unless it is the deepest intent of your heart. Remember, it's a confession with your mouth, but it is a belief. It is a deep commitment that you're making, asking Jesus to forgive that sin, to take it away, and you're giving control. That does not mean you're going to be perfect the rest of your life but it does mean you're going to have access to the power that will help you make better decisions and will help you when you fall to get back up. Seriously, so what am I going to ask you to do? Anybody in this place, if you need to trust Jesus as Savior, repent of your sin and be saved today, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. You just pray it to yourself. You don't have to pray it out loud, but to yourself. You just pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to this earth lived a perfect life. I believe Scripture, when it says that you gave your life on a cross and was put in a grave, and I believe the Scripture that says three days later, God raised you from the grave, claiming victory over hell, death, sin, and Satan. And right now, Lord Jesus, as the only one who can offer Forgiveness of sins, would you cleanse me? Would you wipe away my sins as far as the east is from the west? I'm giving you my heart, and I commit to live for you the rest of my days. Now listen to me, church. Nobody looking around. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, and you meant it. I'm, talk- I'm not talking about playing games, but if you prayed that prayer, and you meant the prayer that you pray and you just received the forgiveness of God, I want you to lift your hand high. Lift that hand high. Make God kind. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Lift the hand high. Thank you. You can put it down. Anyone else? Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Thank you, sir. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to have a time of invitation. Brother Chuck's going to be up here at the front. And I want to invite you to come. You have two options. Okay? One is, during this invitation, if you're not used to church, what an invitation is, is simply when God led you to a decision that you would come and and pray at this altar and commit that to the Lord, and you come talk to your pastor and say, I just gave my life to Jesus, I want to connect with the church, and it's time for me to grow. He needs to know about it. Listen, maybe you you have some emotional uh, makeup to where you can't walk down in front of everybody. Listen, it does not make your decision any less important. I want you to come after the service. Grab Pastor Chuck and tell him about your decision so that it can be followed up, all right? Let me be very clear. If you trusted Jesus today, come tell Chuck, either at this invitation or after the service. For the rest of us believers in this room, everybody look up. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the Lord to continue to move in this place. And whatever decision God's leading you to make, listen, make it public. If maybe you've got a prodigal in your home that you're not willing to give up, come to this altar and pray for them. If you've been visiting this church and, and you know, you know what, it's time for me to join this church and get in the battle, get in the fight, and reach this county for the Lord through Reedsville Baptist Church, come down here and talk to Chuck. But whatever that decision is, you come and don't delay. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for the privilege of being here in this morning. this sweet church, Holy Spirit, there have been hands all over this room have said that they've given their life to you. Father, this morning, We make you the hero of the story. And for those who have repented and asked forgiveness of sin, Lord, may they come and tell Pastor Chuck about that decision, either during this invitation or afterwards. But Holy Spirit, give us all the courage to make the decisions you're leading us to make right now, in Jesus' name.